Happy Wednesday. It's the 28th of April, 2021. I'm Todd Brinker. This is Back from the Brink. Aaron will be joining us shortly. So in the meantime, you get me. So Britney Spears is supposed to speak in court. Finally, after all of these different court cases and or, or at times she's been in court talking about her conservatorship, uh, apparently they're actually going to let her speak and say something about what she wants. She has been fighting for a long time to get her father removed as her conservator. Um, she uh, she says she loves her dad, but that she doesn't want him making all of the decisions about her life and her finances. And so she has requested a, uh, a professional conservator take over as her um, uh, her personal conservator. Uh, and right now, her father is like a co-conservator with a with a financial institution for her financial um, conservatorship. So there's two different conservatorships here. Um, but as the personal conservator, uh, which is the person who basically literally runs your personal life, who you're allowed to see, when they're allowed to see you, uh, you know, what doctors and medications and things you have to deal with, that personal conservator handles all of that. You don't get to make those decisions about your life. Um, and she's saying she would rather it not be her dad. And so, um, yeah, um, you know, I don't know, uh, if you want to see a nightmare about that stuff, there's a movie that's out right now, um, that talks about the, uh, the whole, um, you know, industry around conservatorship. Now, of course it's a horror movie, so, uh, you know, they, they paint a pretty ugly picture, but, um, it's a really good movie. Um, and I'm trying to get the name of it here so I can tell you what it was called, uh, um, I'm not seeing it here, so I'll come up with it in a little bit. But, um, uh, the, you know, the idea that you were basically not in charge of your own life uh, is terrifying, I think, for most people. But there are some people who absolutely need that, you know, because of uh, mental or physical limitations that they have, they need, or things that they suffer from. They need somebody who, who can make consistent good decisions for them. And, uh, and in fact, um, I think Brittany and some of her family members have said, Hey, you don't know all the details. She, she needs this. And she's not arguing that she doesn't need a conservator. She's saying she just doesn't want it to be her dad anymore. Um, and she's a, you know, adult human being. And if, if, you know, and of course the, the, the court will take this all into account, but if you have a, you know, an individual who, has, you know, moments of lucidity and, 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 and other, I mean, she's, she's a working adult. She's gone out and done, um, you know, regular stage shows and communicated with people who put the shows together and dancers and coordinated. So she's obviously able to think and function. Um, you would think then that, uh, you know, she, she would be at least heard in having some decision about who gets to make those decisions for her. Uh, and, and again, she's not arguing that she doesn't need a conservatorship. She just, says that she just would prefer it be some someone else um you know making those decisions rather than her dad um so you know i mean kudos to the to the court for finally saying hey yeah let's listen to her there's been a a big thing we talked about it a while back there's a um, documentary on i think it's hbo there's a documentary that says uh, yeah let me get on mic so you can actually hear me there's a documentary that was uh talking about the 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 free britney um uh, protesters and uh a lot of people who are interested in this. Here's Erin. Let's get her in on the convo. Hi, how are you today? 
transitioning oh. from radio. That's how we say it where I'm from. That's my new thing. I'm going to say things wrong and then go, that's how we say it from where I'm from. Uh, yeah, I don't know where you're from. Yeah, I, I'm from this fantasy land in my head where I say what I want to and then make excuses. Um, so apparently Britney Spears is going to actually get an opportunity to speak in court uh, and and talk about why she doesn't want her dad to be her personal conservator anymore. Um, you know, I mean, I the whole conservatorship thing is just really scary in the beginning. You know, it's like you've given up your ability to make any personal decisions to somebody else, which means that you can't even make a decision about whether or not that person continues to be the person who makes decisions for you. Right. Um, and, uh, and so of course they're going to say, no, I, I should be the person, you know, and since I speak for the person who's being, who's in the conservatorship, therefore it should be that way. Right. Because they're not able to make any decisions. So I'm making the decisions for them. Um, you know, she's not saying she doesn't even need a conservatorship. She's just saying, I don't want to be my dad anymore. Um, and uh, as we've pointed out, she's able to communicate with her, her her dancers and musicians and choreograph her shows and work professionally. So clearly she has at least moments of lucidity where she can, you know, be able to make decisions and talk and converse. You know, I don't see why they wouldn't listen to her request Um but you know, uh, you've got to trust and hope and pray that that the uh, that the court that's hearing this and the judge that's hearing this have her best interest at heart and and uh, you know and and will listen to her her wants and needs and, and reasoning. Um, you know, but if she comes in and of course we, you know we don't know, but if she comes into the court and says, you know, I want somebody else to be my my conservator because my dad keeps shooting laser beams into my brain and controlling me. Um, then they might go, um, yeah, there's something not right here, but you know, I'm, I'm making yeah. stuff up. I have no idea how she's going to, what she's going to say. So, um, yeah, I don't know. You know, the, you, I, I, I kind of trust when you hear like, you know, her sister and, and others in her, that are in her close circle saying, you know, she needs this and she isn't even arguing that she doesn't need this. She just is arguing that I don't want my dad to be that person anymore. So. And I kind of get that. Sometimes yeah. you think with, you know, with a parent, um, they might have conflicting desires. Although, you know, I mean, I, I think it's the rare parent who doesn't really, you know, have their believe that they have their children's best interest at heart. Um, you know, convincing the ch- child of that's not always easy, but, but you yeah, know, as, except, as, this child be, except this child will be 40 in December. Exactly. But I mean, any parent of any child anywhere ever, you know. Can, can has probably experienced that regardless of the age of the child right it's like you know you, you genuinely believe you've got their best interest at heart and they may not agree with that that's that's yeah. you know that's the human condition i mean it's like we don't always agree with our parents and they don't always agree with us regardless and that's you know that that's life and you work your way through it most people though the parent doesn't have you know absolute control over everything that you get to do and be and see and you know so so that's where the the twist comes in and makes it a weird relationship right you gotta think it it would make it for a much more difficult family dynamic maybe it's always been difficult but Mm -hmm. you know it's one thing to have a a neutral third party it's another thing to have um you know your parent and essentially essentially make it you know infantilizing you right yeah 
Yeah, well, and you know, you've got to look at it too. In the, their their relationship's always going to be very different than a standard parent child relationship because when you've got a child who makes millions of dollars, and uh, you know, and now the parents in charge of all of that, um, and at different times, I think she's had parents who were acting as her manager too. So their their livelihood is tied into that child's you know business success. I mean, there's just all kinds of weird dynamic going on there that aren't in a normal parent child relationship. Um, yes. Although you know. none of them, it's likely that none of them will ever, ever have to work again, ever. Right. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> they can live right. a perfectly well, comfortable life on what they've earned so far. Yeah. And I mean, if you can believe the documentary and what's come out, I mean, she has essentially said, I'm not working again. I'm not going to bring any more money into this, you know, whatever it is, uh, you know, until at least until, you know, I'm heard and get the opportunity to change some of my arrangements. Um, she's holding out the, the the talent and the money train, um, which is something you know. To what, when when you when everything else is taken apart, you know that even if they're they're conservator, they can't go out and sing on stage for you, right? So I mean, she has to do no. that. And if she chooses not to do that, then that's her business. But like you said, she probably doesn't need to. It's not like any of them really need to financially go out and do it. It's just you know, are you motivated to do that and express yourself that way? And if she's not, fine. That's her business, you know. I mean, if you're a fan, then you might miss the fact that she's not performing and doing her thing. But, you know, she doesn't have to. Nope. She doesn't have to. Nope. You know, I have I'm felt sure that way about. Take her back in a. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I was just gonna say I, I felt that way about um, a Billy Joel. You know, I mean, he 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 still does some shows, but he's not put out a new album in years. And I did a little research one time and found out that he basically just said, you know, I, he hated the studio process. He hates going in and recording. He hates working through the, the building of the song and the, the interactions with the studio people as to what should be on the album, not on the album. He, he just hates it all. And so he said, I'm just not going to do that anymore. I'm done. He says, I have a body of work. It's great. I'll be happy to perform it. Um, you know, and so he goes and does shows. At least he did pre-COVID. Um, but, uh, he, you know, he was just like, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't need that part of my life anymore. You know, whereas I, I know there. Are... Right... I wonder if he's writing songs for anybody else because he's yeah. a phenomenal songwriter. He is, yeah. And I don't know if if it is, it's it's under the radar because I haven't heard about it. But uh, uh, of course, that it's not like I have my ear to the ground on the music world either. Um, but you know, I know there are um, musicians who are the other way around. They would they don't really particularly enjoy performing and and being up on stage but they love working in the studio and working out songs and and creating you know that music that way i mean that you know the beatles switched to that mode at the back half of their career um steely dan did that they they really didn't perform at all during their their heyday of the 70s um uh you know it wasn't until they came back in the 90s and 2000s that they actually put together a touring band and were doing that so um you know, I mean, I can see both sides of it, and you just got to say, well, we got to respect the artist and say they're doing what they want to do, and uh, you know, you get what they give you, right? Yep. So, it's a gift. That's so how I say H- it where I'm from. <laughs> HBO Max, I think it's HBO Max, has a uh, uh, a documentary on Tina Turner, on the life of Tina Turner. Mm-hmm. It is so good. Have you seen it? I've not seen the documentary um, in its entirety. I've seen parts of it in an interview. Um, uh, and, uh, I'm not sure I understand. I've heard, oh, hey, there, my, uh, my little shlomo in a, in, a, in a tube talked to me there. Huh. 
Uh, and it didn't understand because I wasn't talking to you. Um, but that's okay. Um, yeah, no, I have not. Uh, but it looked interesting. I had, haven't had a chance to sit down and watch it. So you did? I did. It's excellent. I highly recommend it. It's cool. told from her perspective. Um, and it was and her, the executive producer was her, is her husband. Um, but, uh, it is, it is an excellent, excellent, um, uh, documentary. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Tina Turner was, or is, I mean, she's still yeah. alive and kicking. She was yeah. incredible. We'll talk about an artist. She's essentially said, okay, I did this for like, what, five decades. I'm retired. I'm going to enjoy my retirement now. Yes. And, and a lot of people are like, no, no, keep going. And, you know, and it's like, hey. She's given you what she's given you. She has a body of work. Enjoy it. Um, exactly. She's just, you know, she's certainly earned the right to say I'm, I'm done. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I mean, you kind of got to respect that, right? Yeah. Well, and it, what's interesting is, you know, she was, she made Ike and, Ike and Tina Turner. She oh, was yeah. the producer and all of that. But with any producer, she would have shined. She is magnificent. Absolutely. But when, they got, but when they got divorced, he took everything. Yeah. everything so she didn't have rights to anything except her name mm-hmm. so her comeback her comeback in the 80s which was massive um she had to do it to survive you know she had to feed her kids he took mm-hmm. everything and she had the kids right so yep. what a pos yeah no it's it's been pretty well documented that he was a pretty awful person um you know, and granted, she was the voice of the Icantina Review. He was the he was sort of the driving force behind it and the management behind it, and, and did a lot of the songwriting. And so, you know, I mean, he he contributed as well. But he was he a did. Pretty, he was a pretty awful person. Um, and, and she would have been successful with any producer. Yeah, she would have. Well, and as she proved, she was right because when she left him, she, you know, got new management, got a new producer, got in you know, and, and got songwriters and songs, and went out and and went a completely different direction from what she was doing when she was with with Ike, and and her career went even further, and and you know to higher heights. So, you know, yes, she, uh, yeah, I mean, and and such a um, uh, unique and energized performer too. You know, the kind of person that just did, her her shows were always high energy. Anytime you watch any of the video clips of them, you look at it, yeah, it's like, how is she not exhausted? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she probably was. And everything I've read too. I mean, if you look at it, she's she's she looks larger than life when she's up there. Apparently, she's very tiny. She's not a very large person. She's like five foot one or two, and she's she's a tiny lady. But she just you know she owns that stage when she's up there. Yeah, she does. I didn't realize she was that small. Yeah, yeah. I knew she was little, but I didn't. Yeah, I didn't think it was. Yeah, and I might not be exactly right, but I mean, it was. uh, uh, No, I'm sure you're right. Yeah. So anyway, if you're looking for something to watch, cool. Well, I'm always looking for something good to watch. She's five four. Okay. So yeah, towers over those five two people. Um, <laughs> now this is funny too. Another person who I thought was much taller, Diana Ross, is only five five. Oh. And she seems somehow to just be taller. You know, and I'm sure they all wear heels when they're on stage so that, you know, you don't get a real idea of how tall they are. But she just seemed, again, these these iconic people, you know, shares five nine, which is fairly tall for women. But uh, see, Ike Turner was only five nine as well, too. I say only. I think that's about average for the American male. Um, but uh, 
you know, he was, he, so he was, he, he looked taller than her, but not like, you know, a foot taller. He wasn't six, four. So yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. I'll watch that. I'll watch that there. Um, I watched a movie the other day and I darned if I'm trying to find the name of it. It was about, you know, we were talking about Brittany and her conservatorship. It was, it's kind of a, uh, a thriller about, uh, a woman who runs a company that does professional conservatorships and, and she's basically, she takes over people's lives and she's evil. And apparently uh, you can get somebody put into a conservatorship and you can have an emergency. uh, 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 What do you call it? A trial or not not necessarily trial, but you can get in front of a judge in an emergency and the person who's in going to go into the conservatorship may or may not be there. If there's a doctor who is that person's doctor who says that they need to be in it. And so she worked with a corrupt doctor to get people in the movie uh, to get people put into conservatorships when they didn't need it. And and this this whole thing cycles around her putting a woman in a conservatorship. And it turns out that her her uh, the woman's son, who apparently nobody knows about because he's supposed to be dead, is a Russian mobster. And he's played by Peter Dinklage. Who, who I adore and he does a great job in this story too and it's just it's really really good I'm trying to What's find the name the, of the movie I'm trying to find the name of the movie it's driving me nuts um, so, so it sounds it sounds uh, gripping yeah so um, here, I'm doing it the old fashioned way I'm Wikipediaing Peter Dinklage and then I'm going to look at his uh, his uh, list of uh, go to IMDB his body of work yeah uh all right, I like the list that they give me on uh, on this one. So let's see. Oh, it's called "I Care a Lot," is the name of the movie, and Rosamund Pike is the is the uh, lead, and she plays it. And it's a black comedy in a lot of ways. So it's uh, but it's it's a thriller black comedy, um, but it's got uh, Rosamund Pike, Peter Dinklage, Alicia Witt plays the doctor, who uh, who's there, and the mom is played by uh, Diane Weist. 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 I like her. Yeah, I do too. And so it's it's just well done. It's it's a lot of fun. And like I said, I kind of like black comedies. You know, they they have that that uh, sort of you know evil twist, but there's lots of giggles in between. Um, it's just it's I, yeah, I enjoyed that. So that's my recommendation. Hey, speaking of uh, recommendations or my things, uh, we before we forget, we had a trivia question, right? John Travolta's character yes. in Greece. Do you remember? Yeah, I, I I think it's Danny Zuko. It is Danny Zuko. You got it. <laughs> awesome. I love that movie. Yeah. The original movie was fun. I remember the night I saw that. I saw it at a drive-in theater. And I remember going to see Grease at the drive-in theater. Uh, and uh, there were several people there from our swim team at the theater that night. I remember we, we all went separately, but we saw each other there. Um, and in between the first and the second showing, they played a short about, um, uh, uh, Leonard Skinner because the band, uh, half the band had just been killed in a crash, like, uh, you know, like a month before. And so there was sort of this retrospective of Leonard Skinner played at the, at the intermission between the two movies. Um, yeah, I remember that. Wow. I remember I, that I, night. So that- <laughs> I was six years old when when Greece came out. I wasn't. So I I I remember 
uh, I remember watching it. Um, maybe I was seven or eight the first time I saw it. Um, and I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. I think I watched it in sleepover. Um, so it must have been out on on some sort of like when did on TV come out? <laughs> Late seventies. Yeah. Like some of those pay per view things that they had before cable. You know, back yeah. in the early days. I think it was yeah. called the on TV. That release date was uh, June sixteenth, nineteen seventy eight. Oh, it came out when I was eight years old. Yeah, I was going to say, so. um, yeah, you had to be a little older than that because if you were six, that means I don't think I was in high school. And yeah, this this was definitely when I was in high school. So, okay, <clears throat> yeah, I just didn't remember. Yeah, yeah. I was, well, I, I mean, eight. you know, you were eight, so yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll give you a little space there, you know. So, Danny Zuko and Sandy Olson. Uh, so I have a I have a house panther in my lap. <laughs> sitting outside in my car and uh he hopped up in my lap he oh. is very much a mini panther isn't he yes he is yeah do you remember the guys gang and the girls gang what were they called uh the pink ladies right and um thunderbirds t-birds yeah kaniki duty sunny and putsy and Betty, Frenchie, huh. Jan, and Marty. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a fun movie. And then they completely destroyed any thoughts of the original movie when they came out with Grease 2. And you went, really? Do we have to do thought, that? I didn't want it to ruin. I didn't want it to ruin my love for that for that movie. Yeah. And so I never saw Grease 2. Well, but I, I didn't do remember s- the really awful <clears throat> Olivia Newton-John movie called Xanadu. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that ruined Olivia Newton-John, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. Max Caulfield and Michelle Pfeiffer were in the sequel. She must and, have been like she must have been a teenager when she made that movie. Yeah. Uh, well, that let's see. The sequel came out in '82, um, so yeah, she couldn't have been terribly old. Um, I think they cast them both because they sort of looked like it, although Caulfield had like this kind of blonded hair at the time. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It was like, take a decent movie, do a remake, call it two, and it's really bad. <laughs> really <laughs> bad. Is really good at that. They have had so many phoned in sequels. Um, I know that that wasn't a Disney movie, but Disney is the worst at making the the let's just slap something together so we can charge people movies. Yeah. How many Herbies were there? <laughs> yeah. It's like, come on. Yeah. Of course, at least none of those were like high art to begin with. Right. Well, no, but neither yeah. was Greece. True. I always liked the theme song, you know, that was um, uh, written by uh, the Bee Gees. And and then sung by um, uh, Frankie Valley. Frankie Valley. Yeah. So well, we the Beaches were are still are. I think they're still making music. The ones that are left. I think there's one left. There's only one um, left. Yeah. <laughs> that's Barry Gip, right? Yeah, Barry, the oldest brother. Hard to believe the oldest uh, brother outlived all of his. He outlived the twins, and uh, Maurice and and uh, Robin, and then their youngest brother Andy. Also, didn't he die of a drug overdose, Andy Gibb? I believe it was something like that. 
it was either the drug overdose or he drowned when there were drugs in his system or something like that. It was, uh, yeah, he was tragically early. And then the other two died of, I think, one of cancer and the other one of, maybe they were both cancer or something like that. Or one had a heart attack and one had cancer. I don't remember. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Actually, I think I seem to remember one of them had like a, um, had a, some like allergic reaction or something. And it was like he died of anaphylactic shock or a heart attack, but it was a result of that. I could be making all this stuff up. I don't know. <laughs> you, know you know how your memory is, I, right? I like documentaries. I watched a documentary on the Bee Gees um, I have earlier too. this year. And uh, it was excellent. I like the, I like the, uh, the you know, kind of biographical documentary. Yeah, I do too. Um, uh, it's just interesting. And, you know, I mean, bands like the Bee Gees who were around for so long, um, uh, and, you know, people forget they started back in the 60s, you know, and uh, and had, you know, all kinds of, of hits over lots of different times. So uh, let's see. So Robin Gibb had emergency surgery and died. He was having stomach issues and... Uh, and uh doesn't say specifically what oh he had uh, colorectal cancer yeah so uh yeah and Maurice Gibb uh his was sort of a unexpected death he died suddenly at age 53 he had complications of a twisted intestine that caused him oh, to go into God. cardiac arrest that sounds painful. Doesn't it? Oh. Yeah. Wow. Um, and he died young. I mean, he was 53. Um, so he was the... F uh, and then Andy Gibb, the baby. Uh, let's see. He had had some drug addiction issues and uh, he was having chest pains. He died of myo myocarditis, uh, inflammation of the heart muscle, caused by years of cocaine abuse that fatally weakened his heart. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And he wow. died age 30. So he died real young. Um, so. Yeah, but Barry's still out there. Yeah. Hard living can take its toll unless you're Keith Richards, apparently. Yeah. He just pickled everything. And we're, <laughs> he's good to go. Uh <laughs> So um, the CDC has uh, changed their, uh, they've issued new guidelines for wearing masks outdoors. Yeah. Uh, Guess what? You don't have to. <laughs> yeah. The what? fully vaccinated can skip them unless they're in a crowd. Right. And honestly, even if they aren't, I mean, here's the thing. It, 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 they say that everybody in a crowd needs to wear them because you don't know who's vaccinated and who's not. Right. And you can't trust um, them to tell you the truth. Right. I'm going to wear them because people freak out if you don't, but it's come mm -hmm. on. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like if you've been vaccinated, like any other vaccine, you don't need to get, you know, you don't need it. Mm hmm. So. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. When I got to that swim meet yesterday, as I was walking up, there was a coach. He was working by himself, setting up the PA system and the timing system and stuff. And he didn't have a mask on. As he saw us approaching, he, he stopped what he's doing and looked around real quickly and grabbed a mask and stuck it on his face. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, I'm not coming. To, I'm not coming over to give you a kiss. You know, so we're outdoors. I'm not going to get that close. 
but you know he was just being polite he was being polite and I, and I understood that you know and I had my mask on I mean that's just it's expected that's proper form and etiquette these days so that's what we'll do yeah I just you know and I'm not arguing that they're not even effective. I do agree they're effective. I'm not one of those who says, oh, the masks don't do anything. Well, yeah, they do. I really do believe they do. Now, that, that thin piece of cloth that you, you know, the, the kerchief that you bought on Amazon for 99 cents might do any, not do anything. But, uh, um, but I you know. disposable masks. Yeah, the disposable masks or a, a you know, relatively good-fitting mask will, will, I think, really does catch a lot of the moisture that you're, you expel when you breathe out and that's what carries the the viral droplets that can get people infected so i think masks make lots of sense i'm not arguing that point um but it doesn't mean i can't make fun of it <laughs> so i have to say that as things get really really warm outside this summer i don't mm-hmm. know that i will continue to wear a mask outside and i say say this because it will be you know i have um I have asthma, uh-huh. and uh, the hard heat just breathe. stresses me out. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's hard enough to breathe uh, without something on my face. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, We're all going to have those. Um... Go ahead. No, I mean, if somebody says anything, I'll say I'm fully vac- vaccinated and I have asthma, so I'm I'm not going to yeah. wear a mask right now. Yeah, it's hard for me to breathe. Yes. Well, it's hard for all of us to breathe too. Don't you care about other people? I'm just saying. <laughs> no, I don't. I want everybody to die. There you go. Truth in advertising. Up yours. <laughs> like that uh, ninth grader. <laughs> F you all. <laughs> Everything is stupid. Um, yes. Yeah. I um, uh, was just thinking, you know, it's like in, in ski season, in winter snow ski season, you see people with those raccoon tans because their goggles protect their eyes, but the rest of their face gets wind and sunburned. And because of masks, yes. we're all going to have reverse uh, raccoon tans, right? Like from the cheekbones down, our faces are going to be pale, but our eyes and foreheads are all going to be nice and tan. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, well, I should say some people are going to be yeah. nice and tan. I'm just going to be like pink and burnt because I don't really tan. Anybody who knows me knows that, you know, sunglasses are required if I'm taking off a shirt at the beach because I'll blind you. And, you know, corneal burns are difficult to recover from. Um <laughs> That should be on a T-shirt, on a white T-shirt. <laughs> you, you, you think this is br- blindingly white right now? Wait till I take this shirt off. <laughs> yeah, it's my genetics. I can't help it. I'm pale. I'm a very pale guy. Uh. Anyway, let's see. We got other stuff so to talk about. The Samsung Airs. Uh, the, the the family, uh, they have to pay a a truly staggering inheritance tax. So um, South Korea's inheritance tax of fifty percent uh, is second only to Japan. So the U.S. after what you get, we get. That's right, um, uh, and the U.S. rate is forty percent, um, uh, and that's translating into big bucks in this case. The BBC has a statement from Samsung which says the family expects to pay more than $12 trillion, or won. That's about about 8 bucks, right? (laughs) No, it's $10.8 billion in taxes related to the inheritance. You know what's crazy about that? 
is that a lot of their inheritance is not cash. It's it's ownership and business and stuff. And so they're going to end up having to sell off businesses because because they don't have the cash on hand to pay the tax bill. So, yeah. Well, and the family is reducing its tax liability by by donating a massive art collection um, that Deutsche Welle reports includes 23,000 works by artists ranging from Picasso to Salvador Dali. Another $1 trillion, one trillion won will be mm-hmm. donated to medical research, um, and that will that will take care of some of those taxes. Okay, so uh, they're they counting donations. They have five years to pay the tax bill. So yeah, they, they you, you can donate part of the estate to, to to reduce the tax burden. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's good. I mean, you know, quite frankly, a lot of those those artworks should be in public places, museums, and things, so people can see them. So donate them. That's good. They shouldn't be in your living room. Yes. You know, make a copy of it and keep the copy in your living room. It's just as pretty. And and you'll still have plenty of billions left over. You can probably afford a really, really good copy. And then put the original in a, th- in a uh, theater, in a, in a museum where the rest of us can appreciate it as well. Because not everybody has, you know, a few billion dollars lying around. Yeah. I mean, so, I you know, those kind of uh, taxes are, you know... It's it's a little dangerous because it, it also confiscatory. Then, well, it, it it sort of yeah confiscatory because that's how we say it where I'm from. Um, the the uh, you know it, it incentivizes people to leave your country is what it does. It just says you know hey I'm going to get my citizenship somewhere where they don't basically you know uh, take my my legacy and my my money and 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 you know rape my heirs for every dime they're worth. Uh, uh, for lack of a better term, and uh, you know, and so so yes. it, it defeats the purpose because the, the you know the country's saying, hey, we're going to get this money, and 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 there's you know smart um, financial people will always find loopholes, right? I mean, it's it, even if it's the loophole is, hey, change your citizenship, because um, there's countries out there that are willing to say, we'll take less. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll happily let you become a citizen of our country, you know, for a small phenomenal fee. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, when, when you pass, we'll, we'll just take a little bit and then your heirs can happen. They can keep your company all together. They don't have to break things up because, you know, we don't, we're not quite as greedy. It's it's a marketplace out there for the wealthy. So, um, Reuters reports that the, uh, the news sent shares of, of holding company Samsung C&T Corp down as much as five and a half percent. And most of Bloomberg is reporting that most of Lee's nearly $21 billion fortune is made up of Samsung stock. Mm-hmm. And so the family's not saying what will happen to the stock. You know, um, you know, they don't know what they're, they're going to do with it. Um, uh, there was general investor disappointment, according to an analyst with HI Investments and Securities, um, so, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I wonder, um, you know, if, if sometimes the donating of the art also is a kind of a legal dodge because you can then value, you know, get somebody to say the value of the art is X, Y, Z, and Hey, then you can write off that amount. Right. And so, and, and, and the art industry, the art world of art, you know, the value of the art is whatever somebody says it is basically. And so, you know, if you can convince yep. them that, Hey, this is how much this is worth. Um, you know, hey, I, I got this painting at a garage sale, but turns out it's a Picasso. It's worth millions uh, in my dreams. <laughs> yes. 
Wouldn't that be yes. nice? It's in the attic I don't have. Yeah. Yeah. Makes you want to buy an old house just so you can go digging through the attic and find out what's up there. And I'll tell you what's up there. <laughs> Cobwebs and dirt. Um, and ghosts. Yeah. Ghosts. ghosts. That's how we say it where I'm from. <laughs> that's, that's my new line. I'm going to be all day long. It's going to be on my mind. I'm going to mispronunciate and tell people that's how we say it. <laughs> so, Todd, have you ever, or do you know anybody who's ever gone out to Burning Man? Uh, no, I've no people. I, I don't know people personally who have at least admitted that they've gone to Burning Man. <laughs> it doesn't mean they weren't oh, fair there. Enough. Yeah. I actually know a couple, well, what the, the husband has passed away, but, um, uh-huh. and the, and the, the, the wife is in her eighties. Um, uh, but they used to go to Burning Man every year. Um, and, uh, apparently had a really good time. I, they've canceled it again. I'm actually really mm. surprised because the whole idea of Burning Man is very, um, anarchic yeah you know it's kind of you go out there and do your own thing yeah don't let the man shut you down virtually i mean everything's supposed to be sort of happening outdoors in any anyway right well yeah it's all out in the middle of the nevada desert yeah so i don't know it it seems ridiculous to me that that it's been canceled well you know just because the quote organizers canceled it doesn't mean that those who want to go aren't going to just like spontaneously all start showing up right well that's true I mean, it's not like you need to have an organizer to have a Burning Man. You just need people to be there. That's true. I wonder if people will show up. Although I'm sure they've commercialized it and, you know, somebody's copyrighted the name these days. So you can't call it Burning Man. You got Burning Dude. You can call it not Burning Man. Yeah. (laughs) Anti-Burning Dude. (laughs) So apparently this, this festival brings out brings 80,000 people to the desert. <laughs> wow. Small city. A small city just occurs spontaneously out in the desert and then dissipates again. Yes. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, There's that's enough reason for me not to go. I don't like crowds. It's like, hey, everybody's going to Burning Man. Good, I'll go the other way. That's my <laughs> feeling. You know, yeah, I'm just. I mean, I tolerate crowds for things that I want to do. Like, I like live music, so I've tolerated crowds to go to, like, you know, the the Hollywood Bowl or something in order to to listen to music, but um, and see a band perform. But uh, by and large, I don't like big crowds. Um, you know, I've I've attended a couple times to some mega churches too, and I was like, nope, don't like this. Don't like being one of the you know five to eight thousand people sitting in here. It just doesn't feel right to me. I don't like it. I don't like crowds. I don't like fighting to get into my chair. I don't like fighting to get out of my chair. I don't like it. I don't like it. Do you want to know how I really feel? I don't like it. <laughs> I, I'm hearing that. I'm, yeah. I'm sensing that because, you know, yeah. you're being so unclear yeah. and ambiguous. I, I, you know, um, it's the mask. <laughs> it's, it's hard so, to understand me through the mask. I understand. So you know, sitting alone here in my room, I wear my mask because I want to protect myself from me. There you so. go. That makes you crazy. A um, little bit. Apparently, 110 ancient tombs were found at Ooh. a Nile Delta site in Egypt. And they could be up to 8,000 years old. Wow. You mean there were people who have lived in Egypt in the past and they died and we found their bodies? <sighs> yes. Yeah. Actually, it's it's amazing because, and, and, and I'm being, you know, being interred about it, but... The um, the every time they find another set of of, uh, you know, another burial ground or something, 
you know, and 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 one of the things, and this is the reason that that the uh, Egyptian, you know, the Egyptians have like a a uh, an antiquities department within their government because they want to make sure that they treat each of these burial grounds with respect and that they're not just willy-nilly going and digging things up. Um, but they learn a lot about the culture of the people from thousands of years ago because Egypt has one of the the, the oldest and longest histories of human culture. Um, you know, it's, it's actually amazing the things that they learn about how people lived, you know. Uh, in some cases, they've even found like, you know, things in their you know stomach contents to say, well, what was it they were eating? And, uh, you know, what was it like to live 8,000 years ago? And it's, it's, it's really is stunning, the stuff that they find. Um, and, and they do try to be respectful of the fact that these are, you know, these are the remains of human beings. And we're not going to just, you know, uh, have a free for all digging them up with, you know, you know, get your caterpillar out. And let's start digging as much as we can up and see what's in the dirt. Um so, you know, I mean, it's, it's, I was having a little fun with it, but it's, it's, it's pretty cool stuff. It is. It is. Um, and apparently about a month ago, archaeologists, uh, uh, said that they think that they found the lost city of, uh, the golden, lost golden city of Luxor, Luxor, Ooh. um, which I didn't, I thought was mythical to be honest with you. Uh-huh. Um, I thought they had already so, found it, so I didn't tell you how much I know about this stuff. I, what I know, I get from the History Channel and from watching um, uh, the Mummy movies back with Brandon Fraser. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just being honest, you know. I, I I get my ancient history from Brendan Fraser. Yeah, well, not him personally, <laughs> but for his movies. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Want to learn about a culture? Yeah. Watch watch them dig up the mummy from there, and then you'll learn all about it. Everything you need to know. <laughs> Anuks and a moon. Yeah. Uh, that is why you are not a history teacher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I read, too. I read about it, but yeah, mostly it's the movies. <laughs> No, I, I think it's, uh, you know, again, being respectful of the fact that there's, you know, that these are, you know, were human beings at one point in time. And, and whilst they don't have like living family members that you might offend, you know, just treat them with some respect. But uh, it's, you know, learn as much as you can about cultures and where we came from, because, you know, knowing what we came from and, and how we solved problems helps us going forward. And, so, yeah. you know, having a better understanding of our of our history, both recent and past uh, ancient history, um, helps us have a brighter tomorrow. We we tend to arrogantly think that we are way smarter than the people who lived before us, and that's yeah. not true. No, we they're the not. same people. You know, they they were solving different problems, but sometimes they were solving similar problems. But you know, I mean, it wasn't like we we suddenly um, have uh, uh, you know evolved into some other type of being they're the same people then that they are now you know they spoke a different language but they spoke language they worked they lived in societies they communicated they you know had to feed their the, the people who lived there they had you know there there were disagreements and culture clashes between different groups of people i mean all the same problems you know yep all all those all those human problems don't change i don't like your hair you know and, and well i don't like your face you know, I mean, except that they would say that in ancient Egyptian. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, we are at the end of our show for today. We are sadly enough, but we'll be back tomorrow. 
Thanks for joining us. I'm Todd Brinker. I'm Erin Brinker. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you.